And now Radio Maria England presents Questions of Faith. Hello, I'm Father Sam Randall, Priest Director of Radio Maria England, and today I'm your host for Questions of Faith, and I have with me again the wonderful sister Gemma as co-host. We'll be answering your questions about faith, the Catholic Church, social issues, and any other topics that have come up and, and you have asked. And even a few you probably haven't. <laughs> By that, but you should have asked. Yeah, Sister Genevieve. Sister Genevieve, we may come up. I do not. No, I mean, please like, do not believe that. No, no okay, no. right. So there you go. If you'd like to share your questions with us, you can email us, and we do encourage you to do this, so we don't have to make up questions. <laughs> questions at radiomariaengland.uk. Questions at radiomariaengland.uk. You can text, call, or WhatsApp us on. 07502385010. Shall I try and sing that so people can remember it? What do you think? I think just let's let's, let's quit, while, okay. we're let's ahead, quit while we're ahead. Okay, I just say it again. 07502385010. But now let's begin with our prayer. And it's the prayer I used, and it's uh, one from Thomas Aquinas. It's a prayer for wisdom. Wisdom for us and wisdom for you. Come, Holy Spirit, divine creator. True source of light and fountain of wisdom, pour forth your brilliance upon our intellects. Dissipate any darkness which covers us, the darkness of sin and of ignorance. Grant us a penetrating mind to understand, the lucidity to comprehend, and abundant grace. Guide our deliberations and direct our conversation. This we ask through Jesus Christ, true God and true man, living and reigning with you and the Father forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, I did say uh, last week that we're going to try and do something different. And I'm looking at our producer. And there you are. Look. Yes. Yeah, so we have to wave. So uh, this is so you can. You're directly in touch with us. Um through the website, through, yes. And Helena's doing it. Yes, we're uploading. Oh, yes. So if, if you're watching us, um, you can uh, ask questions. You've seen what we look like for a change. Yeah. You're Father Sam didn't tell me this before I came in this morning. I would at least have brushed my hair. You yeah, know, I brushed just, mine. Yeah, absolutely. With a duster. Yeah. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> So let's get to our questions. So you can now, you can be live and say, well, that was a daft answer. Or we, we, avoided, we avoided the question completely. Or here's, here's an ancillary question. Uh, those are always good ancillary questions, aren't they? Well, it's a long word, ancillary. Uh, what shall I say then instead? I think, you know, an extra one. <laughs> okay, an uh, extra uh, one. Additional. A bolt-on. A bolt-on bolt question. On yeah, question. we don't buy what. Yeah. So here's our first question. Now, I have, uh, I have been asked this uh, even this week. And um, actually, it relates to a particular part of the Bible. Somebody wanted to know something. And um, it's our first question is this. Why do Protestants have different Bibles to Catholics? And what's in the Orthodox Bible? Right. Gosh, big question. Technical question. So I yeah. want to start by talking about what's known as the canon, which isn't a big gun. But um, what is 
agreed to be in the scriptures. And at the very beginning, it wasn't clear. So in what we would think of as the apostolic times, there were all sorts of books that were people were reading, um, as it were, as scripture, um, including obviously the letters of St. Paul, but there were some questions about, you know, whether they were from St. Paul and all of this. So there were two councils, um, the councils of Jamnia, um, that was AD 90, and uh, AD 118. So the leaders, the elders of the church got together because they realised it was really important to fix, well, what is what do we believe is revealed by God and what do we believe is not? And <clears throat> there was, in the Hebrew Bible, there were 24 books, and the Protestant Old Testament includes all of that organized into 39 books. So, for instance, the Hebrew Bible has one book of Samuel, whereas the Protestant Bible has the same book divided into two parts. But there was also a different Hebrew canon. So, you know, in a world where there wasn't much written information and it wasn't able to, possible to standardize stuff, um, there were different versions going around. And very early on, there is a version of the Bible which was translated into Greek called the Septuagint. And many of our great early church fathers relied on the Septuagint because they could read Greek, but they couldn't read Hebrew. And therefore, this became quoted as scriptures. And, oh, there were debates about this all the way through the Middle Ages. But basically, there were books that were held in addition in the Greek version and that was what was included by the Catholic Old Testament. So things like the book of Tobit, Judith, uh, uh, the book of Sirach or Ecclesiasticus, um, 1 and 2 Maccabees, additions in the book of Daniel, the book of Esther. So at the time of the Protestant Reformation, the Protestants decided that because these additional books were not in the Hebrew Bible, that they shouldn't be in the Christian Bible either. Um, although, in fact, they are, I believe, in early editions of the King James Bible. But in 1546, at the Council of Trent, the Catholics decided to keep what were known as the deuterocanonical books. Who? And indeed, the New Testament uh, is the same um, for Protestants and Catholics. And the content of that was pretty much defined by St. Athanasius in 367. So that's the long version of why we've got different books um, and the status of different bits of the Bible is debated. Um, and that's why. But in among both Catholics and Protestants, of course, we treat the Bible with enormous respect as the revealed word of God. And uh, we are all of us encouraged to meditate on and pray with the Bible every day. Do you know why it's called the Septuagint? I think you want to tell us, and I'm not going to spoil your oh, morning. Oh, no, go by, on. Uh, you can, it's obvious. It's in the word. Oh, it's, no, go yeah, on. You you know, go on, Sam, because oh, you are you so longing to tell us. No, I, I, I'm not. I was hoping. Actually, can I tell you that uh, not, Please that's do. to do with 70. It is. Yeah, who were um, translated uh, from the Hebrew into Greek. So there you are. But you missed the wisdom of Solomon off. And, well. And also Baruch. And Baruch and various things. Which yes, includes the letters of Jeremiah. 
I thought it was a bit long to give everybody... Uh, they might be writing them down. Well, they uh, so one of the issues about all of this is if you go to church and you're sitting there, supposing you go to an ecumenical meeting and they announce Psalm uh, 23 and you look at Psalm 23... It is a bit tricky because our not, psalm numbering is not the same. No. After yes. after nine, it all goes skew with It all goes a bit skew with doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. they, they, they combine them, uh, nine and ten, uh, and in uh, Hebrew, and it's just nine in, in the Catholic. So it's, yeah, it's always... It, Luther's partly responsible for all of this. I blame Luther, yeah. Well, only, yeah. If because, in doubt, blame Luther. Uh, Miles Coverdell, he's the first English Bible, um, I, complete modern English Bible. Yeah. Uh, Coverdale in 1535, and he, and he included the Apocrypha, which Indeed. is these yeah, yeah these books that we're talking about. And uh, but he he did separate it uh, a separate section, put them all together. Now, um, well, I think uh, one of these wonderful things about the Catholic Bible. So all you Catholics, listen, it's great because I think there's more wisdom books, and I think that says something about the theological difference between Protestantism and Catholicism. Go for it, because you have yeah. more experience of this than I. Well, I have a lot of Protestant experience. So, because it's about uh, natural theology. I mean, it's a big argument, like between Bart and Prasvara and people like this. He doesn't, Bart wouldn't accept uh, the sort of idea that God could reveal himself in things which were not uh, outside scripture. Or... So you're talking about Karl Barth, the Protestant theologian. I beg your pardon. Yes, I am talking about Karl Barth, the Protestant. I'm just, I'm just no, in case right, people thought it was Bart Simpson and Bart, they thought, no. oh, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> they were a bit worried. So sorry, I just thought, everybody. we better tell I'm, our listeners. You can tell I live in my little world. You I, live in your little world, true. Father Sam. And it's I was true. just making sure that our listeners knew what world you were living in yeah, just at that moment. It's true. Well, okay. thank you so much. Not Bart Simpson, but Carl yeah. Barth. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really wonderful. Thank you. That that amused me the rest of the day. <laughs> um, so it's. I think it's nice to look up um, the, the quotations uh, from these uh, in the New Testament of the uh, Old Testament. Yeah. So you can see those, and you can see some of these. And actually, um, I discovered. Right, I won't make a paper out of this, but I discovered if you look at two Peter. You can just uh, you can find um, Book of Maccabees, same sort of phrases and, and some of the same Greek words. Oh, how fantastic! I know it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it is lovely because one of the issues is around vicarious suffering, which ah. is a very key theme in Maccabees. It, and it's a very key theme in the whole Christian understanding of what Jesus was doing it's, on the cross. It's and true. All those things. Uh, yeah. It's true. But our participation in that uh, is, yeah, yeah, is is yeah. is another one of those Protestant Catholic divides. It is a bit. <laughs> just, it is a bit. So I was thinking about Bart Simpson again. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, I, can, I can see that that's going to have you giggling all the yeah. way through this programme. Right. Dear listeners, he so is taking our, your questions seriously. I am, I am, I am. So, look, don't be troubled. Don't really, don't be troubled about this. Enjoy the Psalms. And if it's different, look look at the Psalm that came before or the one after and you're bound to find it. Yeah, you are. Yeah, so don't worry about that or the Apocrypha. And, and um being Catholic, we've got such riches, including these books that are in the Protestant Bible. Yes. And Maccabees is very keen and good on vicarious suffering. And I do love the book of Tobit. It's just oh. such a brilliant story. Yeah, I looked at that. Can I tell you, can I be a bit of a smarty? You are always a bit of a no, smarty if you I don't, don't mind. Like, if I can say so in Omnia Caritatis. I don't like uh, <laughs> Jerome's translation. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's I, all right. I must tell Jerome. Don't tell Jerome that he'll be. Oh, okay, he'll be it's all right. Really but I looked upset. at this. I didn't like it. No, because it, it seemed like some of his attitudes towards uh, marriage and women were coming out rather 
I think he, he uh, anyway, I might get into trouble for saying that. Well, no, I don't think, I don't think anyone's going to care, really. When, oh, really? <laughs> when I was at school, we had this wonderful recording by the wonderful, wonderful David Kossoff, who was oh, a, a Jewish yes, uh, actor yeah. and, and speaker. And he told the story of the Bible and he told the story of Tobit. And it was just brilliant. It was so brilliantly it's done. It's a beautiful story. Ah, oh, it's, uh, it's a lovely a, story. It's so, so lovely. If you're bored, read, read Tobit. Yeah. Do you know there's one book of the... Uh, actually, talking. this is about love. That's why I mentioned Tobit. Uh, there's one book in the uh, Old Testament that isn't referenced anywhere that I can find, not that I'm a great scholar, <laughs> in the New Testament. And that is the Song of Songs. Well, there you go. If anyone's listening and you think you found a reference to... Well, I think there's a sideways reference. Go you on. know, Mary Magdalene in the garden, looking for him who her soul loves and can't find him. You've got me there. I'm afraid. I think it is. Yeah, OK. And That's Saint beautiful. John of the Cross picked it up. OK, I stand corrected. Uh, well, there you go. It's so beautiful. What you said is... OK, Bart, Bart, Bart Simpson was amusing, but what you just said is absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Sister Gemma. That's Anytime. wonderful. Yeah. Isn't our faith lovely? It is. It's, I've got a follow-up question. I don't know why they think it's a follow-up question, but it's this. Why did Jesus bring Lazarus back from the dead? Oh. Now, you know, this is quite an interesting uh, question, really. I've seen Lazarus's tomb because he died. Or supposedly, reputedly. Right. I mean, he did die, yes, but I mean, the, I mean the, the tomb is reputed. I, right. Yeah, I'm not suggesting. I think, I think you stopped digging there. Yeah, Sam. I stopped digging. I okay, that's a question. Digging. Why did Jesus bring Lazarus back from oh, the dead? Oh, gosh, that's, I mean, that's a fascinating question. And we have Jesus's own explanation for it. Um, he actually says, because as, if you remember, you know, Lazarus was a very close friend of Jesus, as were his sisters, Martha and Mary. Mm -hmm. And in the Gospel of John, we realised that their house was somewhere. It was a kind of bolt hole for Jesus when things were getting on top of him a bit. And he used to go and have supper and kind of hang out with his friends. And when the message comes it, that the sisters have sent a message to say, Master, you've got to come quick because Lazarus is is desperately sick. He doesn't go. No, he he kind of hangs about. Yeah, he delays. And even his disciples are saying, well, well, you know, why aren't we hurtling off to Bethany to go and sort this out? And when, of course, he eventually gets there, Lazarus is dead. And he says to his disciples, you know, we don't need to worry because Lazarus is asleep. And they think he means, well, Lazarus is sleeping off this sickness. He's obviously better. And he says no what i mean is lazarus is dead and they then say well if he's dead there's no point us going is there? there's nothing we can do and then he gives his answer that that this death is for god's glory Amen. and so this is going to be a moment for jesus to manifest himself as lord of life and lord of death it's wonderful and off he goes and of course the sisters are terribly upset so when he arrives first martha and then eventually mary says if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And there's just, honestly, I think that dialogue, particularly, everyone always thinks of Martha as the sort of one who rolls up her sleeves and gets on with the housekeeping, and Mary as the contemplative. But actually, the dialogue in John's Gospel between Jesus and Martha is just stunning. 
because bit by bit he draws out of her a declaration of faith. Do you believe that I am the resurrection of the life? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the one who was to come. And he he actually, she makes the first declaration, actually, of faith in him as the son of God, who is Lord both of life and of death, a woman. And it's just a fabulous piece of scripture. So yeah. why did he bring Lazarus back from the dead? I think at many levels, because his sister's, asked him to do something, and this is what he could do. But also the death of Lazarus is very much connected in John's gospel with the resurrection of Jesus himself. Um, and so we need to read that whole story of the resurrection of Lazarus in the light of Jesus' own death and resurrection. They're kind of parallel stories. Yeah. Um, and it's it's about the disciples actually coming to believe that despite Jesus's crucifixion and death, he is alive. Wonderful. And that's what all that story is about, really. Beautiful. Do you know one of the shortest verses in the New Testament, is that in that? I do know what it was. Go on then. Jesus wept. There you are, everybody. Isn't that absolutely It is the wonderful? shortest verse, isn't yeah, it, in, in the New Testament. It's absolutely Jesus beautiful wept. that the Lord enters so much into our suffering yeah. and he feels our pain alongside us. Yeah. And I'm also struck by when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. You think about that, listener. Terrifying moment. Wow, but the power of Christ. This man is wrapped up like in swaddling clothes. You know, he's not going to walk out of there. He would have been completely wrapped up. No one went in to get him. And the power of Christ, Lazarus, come Come forth. And he pulls him out. Yeah. It's, Fabulous. Yeah, it's, wow, praise the Lord. And his sister's amazing that yeah. his sisters kind of hoped he would do something. But when he said, well, OK, I'm going to do this. You know, darling Martha, she's because yeah. she's so practical. Look, Lord, he's been in there for four days. He's going to stink. You know, she's worried about the smell of dead bodies. Even when part of her wants him to do something and believes he can, she can't quite bring herself to believe and aren't we like that so often? Yeah. We ask God to help us, but we can't quite believe he's going to. And of course, sometimes he helps us in ways we haven't asked for or we didn't expect. And he doesn't do what we did ask. And so we get upset and worried. And here he is saying, I will answer your prayers, but I'll answer them in my way. Yeah. Um, th- that lovely story uh, of another, uh, Jairus, with his, his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Yeah. That's, we can pray that. That's Lord, a, a, I believe. A father with his child saying that. Lord, yeah. I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Okay. Thank you very much, Sister Gemma. story. Yeah, it's also wonderful. If you don't read your Bible, I encourage you to do this. It strengthens your faith. It's, it's wonderful. It is God's word to us. And that includes the Apocrypha. So, you know, make a habit of reading the Bible. I once talked to somebody in, in church. Um, I, of course, I'm always shocked. I go to Catholic churches and I say, own your Bible. And everyone looks at each other and there aren't any, you know, saying, take a Bible along. But I said to this person about reading the Bible and getting close to Christ. And she looked at me with complete surprise and she said, but that's the priest's job. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, my goodness. We all have our own relationship with the Lord. It's not mediated through anybody else. It's you and the Lord. Read your Bibles. When I was a missionary in Brazil, there there were lots of little um, 
evangelical groups that of mostly young men, very clean shaven and and you know shirt and tie, even in the heat of Brazil, who would go around with a Bible under their arm, mm. you know, because they were evangelizing people. So the Brazilians used to say. Um, you know, what's the difference between a Protestant and a Catholic Bible? And the answer was, they smell different. Oh, no. And you'd say, OK, so what does a Protestant Bible smell of? And they would, they used to say it smells of armpits because oh, they've always dear. got the Bible under their arm. And then what does the Catholic Bible smell of? It smells of dust because they never open it. Ah, that's a sad story. So, you know, that was, they've got a very, very kind of dry sense of humour, the Brazilians. Yeah. And actually, they had a point. A sweaty Bible is better than a dusty Bible. I would think definitely better, but I think it would be nice to have neither. Uh, yeah, a nice true. fresh Bible because it's sitting by your bed and you open it every night. Which uh, version do you like to read? I like to read the Jerusalem, but I also have a great friend in the wonderful, wonderful Jesuit scripture scholar, Nicholas King. And Nick King did a complete translation of both the Old and the New Testaments. And it is just gorgeous. It's a lovely Bible to pray with. What's it called? It's called the Bible. No, the version. <laughs> What's the version called? It's called, I can't remember, it's just called the the Bible translated by Nicholas King. As far okay, as I remember. you are right. Well, that'll do. That's uh, okay. But it's a beautiful, beautiful Bible and translation. And, of course, there is a new version of the Jerusalem coming out. Any se In fact, it has come out. A new, new, because they've had several revisions, and I'm very much looking forward to reading that and praying with it. Um, what, how does it, what does it do with the divine name? That's the thing I don't like so much about I They have Jerusalem. removed that. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. A wonderful thing, wonderful thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls and finding the old scriptures is that um, our, our faith is, is based on something that we can trust. This is the extraordinary thing. So the, it used to be that the earliest Hebrew Bible was from the ninth century. Yeah, so Masoretic text. So, But now we can look at um, scriptures that 200 years before. If you go to the, um, it's called, the, I think, the Shrine of the, of the Book in, outside Jerusalem, uh, all round the walls is the full text of the book of Isaiah. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, it's which dates from 200 years before Jesus. Yeah. And I imagine that's the text that the Lord had in, in the Nazareth. May, may well have been. It's so beautiful. And, yeah, hardly any changes over all these centuries. So if anyone says to you, oh, yeah, it can't be like this, believe me, it is. Mm, lovely. It is so, so beautiful. This is Radio Maria England, and you're listening to Questions of Faith. I am not Bart Simpson, I'm Father Sam Randall, and I'm here with Sister Gemma. If you'd like to share your questions with us, you can email these at questions at radiomariaengland.uk. You can also text, call, or WhatsApp us at 07502385010. And you can also get in touch through Instagram or Facebook. Um, and uh, thank you to all those that have been in touch. Uh, thank you to Jennifer, Chris and Mowgli on Facebook. Yes, great. 
And um, I've been asked also on Facebook about the Orthodox Bible. So I'll ask that in a minute. On Instagram, thank you for getting in touch, even the Sparrow. Even the Sparrow um, had Tobit read at a wedding. A lovely choice. It's beautiful. Really, really, I love it. Um, also on Instagram, Music Irish Jackie, Giovanni Cochi. Hello to Alessio and Alfie. Uh, hi to Radio Maria Venezuela, who listening oh, in. Oh, hola yeah. Venezuela. Yeah, there you go. Wonderful. Uh, hi to Chris Carroll, Catherine Ford World, Francis, Philip77, I think it's 88. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. So um, we had to mention the Orthodox Bible. Sister Gemma, what is in? And by the Orthodox, we don't mean like um, allowed or legitimate or truthful, but the Orthodox Church, sort of like the Russian Orthodox song. So what is it? Okay, so the Orthodox Church uh, recognises the um, Septuagint as the Catholic uh, Church does, but um, the and it therefore includes all what we call the Deuterocanonical books in the Old Testament, but it also adds. Uh, the first book of Esdras, the s- third book of Esdras, the prayer of Manasseh, Psalm 151, and a third book of Maccabees. Um, and the appendix to the Greek Bible includes the fourth book of Maccabees and the Ethiopian Orthodox Bible, because there are several yeah. Ethi- uh, Orthodox churches, mm. includes the book of Jubilees, the book of Enoch, the Synodicon, the Didascalia Apostolorum, which means the teaching of the apostles, the Testament of the Lord, Qualimentus and the fourth book of Baruch. Wow. So, golly. So there are various books there that yes. are considered kind of peripheral and non-canonical in the Catholic sense, which are uh, included in some of the Orthodox communions. Wonderful. I mean, of course, while the the Gospels being formed and before the canon was established, there were lots of other books. Yeah, yeah there were. I've lots. always... I The Shepherd of Hermas is one of my favourites. Oh, it is beautiful. And that was very much read as scriptural in yeah. many of the communities until they decided it wasn't it doesn't St Clement mention it, I think. He does. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah. Yeah, and there's others. Uh, you can get the Gospel of Thomas. It's yes. very now Gnostic test. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, but, oh, I, I had a, a run-in with somebody on the BBC radio about oh, that really? once. Yeah, okay. I did. Because it was a ta- around the time when that film, oh, um, oh, about... You, Dan Brown. Dan Brown, oh, yeah. yeah. What's it called? I can't remember. Oh. Uh, I'm looking at my producer. Yes. We're both having a senior moment here. The Dan, uh, what's it the called? Vinci the yes. Da Vinci Code. That's the what very one. Thank Helena. you. What would we do without Helena? So it was all about the Da Vinci Code and how, you know, the Catholic Church or the Christian Church had repressed yeah. women and everything else. Opus and Day were. So, yeah. no, there was this woman who was who rang in and was banging on all about, you know, feminism and. How very much the the Christian Church had kind of repressed these feminist Bibles, and she was saying that it would have been much better if we'd used the Gnostic scriptures because that's what that novel is all about. And thank God I knew a bit about the Gospel of Thomas, and I pointed out that there's a moment yeah. in the Gospel of Thomas where the apostles are feeling a bit jealous of the relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene because she's much mm. more his friend than they are, and they complain about it to Jesus. And Jesus says to them, well, yeah, we are good friends, but don't worry, because in the end, she, Mary Magdalene, will be saved by becoming a man, becoming a kind of honorary man. Mm. And I pointed out that in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, no woman ever has to become a man in order to be saved. She's saved in her own skin, as it were. And I said, if that's 
uh, feminism, you can keep it because my kind of feminism yeah. wants me to be saved as a, as woman, a woman, not because I've been turned into a man. No. Thanks, but no thanks. No, these Gnostic texts are awful. So the Gnostic texts <coughs> are not all they're cracked up to be by no. Dan Brown, I have to say. And they have influenced the church over the history. I'm afraid they have. Yeah. Hey. But that could be for another question. That's another Someone question there for another ask day. Us, yeah, ask us a very awkward question about how have Gnostic Please texts... Please do not yeah, ask us we're, that we're Both of us get into very hot water, I can tell you. <laughs> right. Um, right. So this show is available at podcast. Uh, it'll be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast services. You've got to search Radio in England and you'll find some of our shows available for you to listen whenever you need them. You can subscribe to get all the latest programmes from Radio in England. But our question... I Next question. And if you listen to that lovely music by Tom Booth, were you there? Um, is relates to this really. So the question is this: When do you have to have a priest present? You know, do you have to have the mass, stations of the cross, confession, or when? Well, basically, you have to have a priest present when there is a sacrament that requires a a change in some way that can only be mediated by a priest. So, for instance, if you are going to have the full celebration of the Mass, yeah. yes, absolutely, you need a priest. If you want somebody to uh, hear your confession who can confer absolution, yes, you have to have a priest. You do not have to have a priest present for baptism because any Christian can baptise. And Actually, in canonical sense, you don't have to have a priest present, or at least you do, but you don't have to have him present as the person um, officiating officiating at the sacrament at a wedding because the ministers of the sacrament of marriage are the man and the woman. And the funeral? Uh, A funeral, you do not have to have a priest present unless what you're looking for is an actual requiem mass. So we have a wonderful... um, development in the church more recently in recent years of married deacons and many of our married deacons are indeed doing the baptisms doing the funerals now Mm. um but equally i as i said earlier was a missionary in brazil for a while in the 1990s and a huge huge number huge percentage of eucharistic celebrations on a sunday were done without a priest because there was no priest And so the priest would come and consecrate hosts at a proper mass and those hosts were then kept. And we had a Eucharistic celebration without a priest because otherwise there would have Mm. been no Eucharistic celebration at all. So there are all sorts of circumstances in which um, lay people have to preside at the liturgy because there is no priest. And there are other things like Stations of the Cross, for instance, where a priestly presence is not required. It's lovely to have the priest along, but he doesn't have to be there. And this is something that can be lay led. We try to encourage lay participation in Radio Mary England. If you're listening and want to join in our prayers and Stations of the Cross, because that was one of the questions. Or lovely. things like that. If, lovely. You know, please do uh, ring and in, get in touch. And the Angelus. Oh, it's beautiful. beautiful. Yep. The Rosary Prayers. Yep. Um, yes. So get involved in your parish. Get involved with Radio Mary England. Get involved. Full stop. Yeah, get involved, full stop. Did you have Eucharistic ministers in Brazil? Yes, absolutely yeah, we did. Go. And catechists, and many of them. You know, there were there were communities there. Uh, we, My own sisters have um, participated in a mission up in the Amazon. 
they may not see a priest for two or three years mm. because there just isn't one. So the Catholic community keeps going yeah. uh, in the hands of the baptised. And if you think about Japan, I mean, what an astonishing story that is where, you know, there was a terrible, terrible persecution and all the priests were either killed or sent into exile. And that amazing group of Catholics kept going in secret for the best part of 200 years without a priest. Um, you know, this isn't what we would hope for. It's, it's not, not what we would want. No. But it can be done. And it can be done, I think, when the lay faithful take seriously their vocation through baptism to be prophet, priest and king, uh, yeah. which is what our baptismal um, rite says we all are. There's one body of Christ. There is indeed. And we're all members. Absolutely. Whoever we are. What did you think about the uh, Synod in, in the Amazon? You... Oh, fabulous. Yeah. I mean, beautiful. Um, uh, personally, I think a few lost opportunities there. But um, some, some encouragement. But some encouragement, yes. Yeah. You can look that up, I think, on Google. You can. <laughs> or somewhere. Yeah, or somewhere. Yeah, or somewhere. Right. Bart Simpson will tell you. So, no, <laughs> sorry. He, no he won't. He won't. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I, I just couldn't let that one go. No, okay. So, to our next question, why is it important for the Pope to visit Iraq? Oh, it's, golly. It's fantastic. Isn't wow. it amazing? And yeah. what I find so touching is that both Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II wanted to go and never did. So here's this Pope actually able to do it, and he's actually on his way there or has arrived today. Yeah. Uh, I think there are two things. First of all, because he's gone as a pilgrim of peace and the persecution of Christians in Iraq is truly terrible. I'm working at the moment with a wonderful worldwide network of sisters under the age of 60 who are theologians and we're trying to develop them as a kind of theological voice in the church particularly about the theology of religious life. And one of them is an Iraqi, and she wrote the most wonderful piece, which is available online, about what happened to her home church and what happened to oh, her dear. home community when the church was bombed. And it's just so touching. And so I think the Pope has gone to encourage Christians to return to their homeland, to encourage peace and reconciliation and negotiation rather than bombing themselves to blazes, you know. But also because it is a very, very ancient church. It's a cradle. Uh, Iraq is the cradle of so much of biblical history. Yeah. And Christianity is extremely ancient in that part of the world. And there is an attempt by um, al-Qaeda to... Um, to basically say that Christianity has no place in that part of the world, that Christians are all foreigners or, you know, that everybody should be Muslim and they're kind of Muslim. So they're actually persecuting their fellow Muslims as much as anybody else. And there are many, many Muslims who desperately want the Christians to come back. Yeah. So I think he's gone to try and make peace and make it possible for the Christian church to stand up again. And... The, the, those who have stayed behind and kept everything going, they deserve all our honour and our respect and our love and our prayers. Yeah. Um, 
one of our partners in Radio Mary England is Aid to the Church in Need. Oh, and, fabulous And people. that is a wonderful organisation that is supporting Christians mm -hmm. in Iraq. Yeah. And uh, those who are being persecuted. It's it, really worth reading, isn't it, their stuff online about that? Oh, yeah, please do. Go online. Aid to the Church in Need. Uh, it's, they're an extraordinarily wonderful organisation. And... Um, so it really is important that the Pope makes that visit and we should pray for the Holy Father. And we all pray the good for his that safety. Yes, pray yeah. for his safety and all the good that will come from this. We are so blessed that uh, we have this Pope. Amen to that. So to our next question, if a book is really good, but you find out something bad about the author's past life, is it still a good book? Oh, yeah, right. there's a really testing question. So, aye, aye, aye. I mean, I think there are two things. Is it a good book? Well, it can be a good book written by a bad person in that respect because it can be well written. It can be a good piece of literature. And there are many great artists, not only writers, but artists whose personal life doesn't bear looking into terribly. Yeah. Uh, Caravaggio. Who, who did wonderful paintings, uh, religious paintings, like the, the Call of St. Matthew. I mean, he was a wild boy, if ever there was one. And there has been a huge amount of controversy, for instance, about um, Eric Gill. Oh, oh, yeah. Who did the lovely, lovely Stations of the Cross in um, Westminster Cathedral. Cathedral. But his own personal life, life was Shocking. extremely questionable. And I think it's right that people have questioned whether, um, you know, those stations should remain there. Part of me wants to say, look, every writer, every artist, every human being that ever walked the face of the earth is a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm talking to you. Father Randall is a sinner. And here we are talking on Catholic Radio. Should we be here if we're sinners? Well, my answer would be try and find me someone who's not a sinner to talk on the radio. There would be air silence. <laughs> try and find a priest who is not a sinner. We would not have a priest in the church. So it's possible, I think, for us to acknowledge that people are sinners while still finding good in the things that they do. Uh, and that's what I would want to say about that question. I think it's redemption. <clears throat> I mean, when I, I go, remember going to Westminster Cathedral, and that was fresh in my head. Yeah, because it's a horrible story. It's Terrible. a horrible story. <clears throat> yeah, uh, but it's sort of redeeming it in a way. It's sort of there. Um, it is difficult though. It's troubling. It's very troubling. But you know, Michelangelo wasn't all he was cracked up to be in moral terms. And there he is all over yeah, the Sistine, Sistine Chapel. Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do with that? You know, we have to, and, yeah. and I think the thing is, if ever we do find out something bad about the past life of someone whose work we admire, then we pray for them. Yeah. I mean, Mozart wrote sublime music and he was a horrid little man. <laughs> and anyone who's ever seen the play Amadeus, you know, he was clearly not a nice character. And the same can be said, I think, for actually some of the saints. I wouldn't have wanted to live with them particularly. They're not. Are they made saints because of their good works or because of... They're uh, made saints because of the grace of God amen. manifest in their lives. Exactly right. And that's the hope for us all. Amen. So enjoy your Caravaggios and your Graham Greens and your Eric Gills. And, and I hope that people them. read my books, even though they're written by a sinner. I ought to put that actually on the cover of anything I write. This book was written by a sinner. 
Or you could just do like bark to the glory of God or something at the end. Yeah, of it. that's exactly. You know. Well, as the Jesuits do, A M D G ad maiorem dei gloriam, yeah. meaning to the greater glory of God. We used to write that at school on our exam papers. Yeah. So there you are. If you like it, I mean, God uses all sorts of things to convert, to enrich, to thrill. It's and uh, but of course. Um, there are some things. God writes straight with crooked lines. With crooked lines. Yeah. And we're Which all does not mean we should not take seriously no. serious sin committed by anybody. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, great an actor or a singer or a whatever they are, we are all held to account. And the fact is that every great artist, painter, writer, opera singer, priest, pope, whoever they are, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And that should give us pause. Amen. Thank you, Sister Gemma. Is Radio Mirror England. So I want to shout out now to Martin and uh, Raffaele and also M B R G L O Muglo and Francesca Veleba and uh, Martina. You're from the Dominican Republic. So hi on Instagram. Uh, I do want to say a special hello to Mogli because she's our dear Anne. Um, um, and she was lovely. She helped me with the translation. Uh, she's um, in French. Yeah, she's one of our lovely volunteers. Of course, Jennifer was one of our volunteers, and oh, lots of Malesio Alfie. Uh, our radio station wouldn't be anywhere without you, dear people, and we love you. And you can volunteer for us um, wherever you live. Isn't that right, Helena? She's nodding. The producer's nodding. So there you go. So you've been listening to Bourbon Bluegrass and the Bible by the Hillbilly Thomists. Uh, this is Questions of Faith. I'm Father Sam Randall. I'm here with Sister Gemma. If you'd like to share your questions with us, you can email us at questions at radiomirrorengland.uk. You can text, call or WhatsApp us on 07502385010. And this um, will be available on a podcast. It's going to be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast services. So if you like um, anything we've said or you want to think about it again, you can get downloaded the podcast and check us out. So now uh, for our last question, and it comes from a young communion, first communion candidate. And it's, here's the question. Sister Gemma, many Protestants believe that we are saved by faith alone. And they say that Catholics believe that they can work their way into heaven. Is that true? 
I want to say no, it is absolutely not true. What's we, not true? That it is not true that Catholics believe that we can Great. save ourselves, uh, if that's what's implied there. And this is an old, old controversy. Pelagian. Um, it, yeah, but it, it comes also from controversy at the time of the Protestant Reformation because there were many Catholics, there were many practices that seemed to suggest that, you know, if you gave enough money or if you uh, if you covered up your sins by good works, that somehow you were kind of making a bargain with God. You were buying your way into heaven. And of course, that can't be true. We all of us are saved by grace. But what the Catholic Church has always t taught is that we can respond to grace. Now, the capacity to respond is God's gift. Everything is God's gift. We are not able to save ourselves. Final point, not possible. But we've got the capacity. Every human being has got the capacity to respond to God. Um, and, and you can even see this in little, little babies you know, their expressions of joy and wonder when they see, you know, something lovely, when they see a mobile or something dangling in the wind or they see their mummy's face. The capacity to respond is there from our earliest age. So are we able to save ourselves? Definitely not. Are we able to respond to God's grace and by doing that, cooperate with God in our salvation? You betcha. And that's why we pray. That's why we do good works. That's why we offer money to charity. That's why we volunteer for Radio Maria, because all of it is a response to God's invitation. Come and come and cooperate with me mm. in the salvation, in your own salvation and the salvation of the world. It's Wonderful. Yeah, we're all saved by grace. Indeed and we're called we are. to respond to the love that God has given to us in Christ. Yep. And we respond in love. So we don't respond out of guilt or because we think we're achieving anything. Or because we're bargaining with God no. or trying to buy grace. Do you know the expression that works of supererogation? Do you know, it's not something I talk about very often in my home. No, me neither. But I've come across it and I have wondered. You don't know what it means. Uh, I'd rather not. OK, there we go. Let's leave that. I uh. think let's... I can't even say it. I can't pronounce it. It's, okay. That's one for Bart Simpson, for sure. Oh, dear. OK. <laughs> that one's going to run and run, you know, Sam. Yeah, I know. We're going to get this next week, I think. We are. So, um, thank you, Sister Gemma, for being with me here today for Questions of Faith. As always, it's my pleasure. And I do encourage our listeners to send Radio Maria England questions for our weekly show for Questions of Faith. If you have a question that you would like to ask, if you have a question you've never dared ask, please email those questions to questions at radiomariaengland.uk. You can also text, call or WhatsApp us at 07502 if you've missed any of this broadcast, we do rebroadcast this show, Questions of Faith, on Sundays in the afternoon at 4pm, Mondays in the evening at 9pm and Thursdays in the early morning at 2am. So next week, do join us again live on Fridays, next Friday at 11am. And thank you to all those who've sent in messages and are listening on thank Facebook you. and Instagram. And, uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for all of your love and questions and support for Radio Maria England and this show. Sister Gemma, could you now lead us out in prayer? I will, and I will pray, as I always do, a prayer by St Francis of Assisi. Most high and glorious God, give light to the darkness of our hearts. Give us right faith, certain hope and perfect charity. 
Lord, give us insight and wisdom that we might always discern your holy and true will. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.